I was a communication major, so I don't know anything about this, but I imagine if you're a doctor or a pharmacist, you've gotta be very careful when it comes to numbers, right? Because uh, there's a difference between like point, like point 0.5 of like, I don't know, fentanyl, and then like five of fentanyl, you know what I mean? You guys know what fentanyl is? It will kill you, like you will die. Uh, but my wife was telling me, she tells me from time to time that a lot of mistakes happen in the pharmacy, right? Because people don't be using the leading zeros, right? Either the doctor or the checking pharmacist, they'll put the 0.5 instead of 0.5. So a lesson for you, Cho, right? Right. I know. I know you. You don't use you don't use leading zeros, don't you? All right. Okay. But why do we do this? Why do we have these reminders? Right. Use the leading zero. Right. Uh, and, you know, I worked at a print shop for six months. I don't anymore. Thank God. But uh, you know, when when, I, when I'd have to print stuff out, there's a big difference between what a millimeter is and what a what an inch is. But our printers were all Japanese. And so you'd always have to switch from millimeters to inches, and sometimes that gets you into a lot of trouble. But I'm sure you've all heard of Murphy's, is it Murphy's Law? Uh, where anything that can go wrong will go wrong, right? And we experience that all the time, not just in medicine, uh, not just in our jobs or work, but we experience it all the time. Where, and we've been talking about this because this is what Paul has been talking about for the last few verses as we've been going verse by verse through chapter 8. But everything that can go wrong seems to be going wrong, even if we have made the right choices, talked to the right people, filled out the right forms, done the work. I think that's the most annoying part, isn't it? That we put in the work, put in the effort, and yet we still find that things don't always go our way. And, we, and Paul has been talking about how not only are we, as people, as human beings, subjected to this kind of futility, right? And what is futility? Futility is when you're thrashing and moving and working and nothing happens, right? This same futility is present and evident even in the creation, the creation. Um, even creation itself is broken. And yet we know that both in our lives and in the evidence of creation, we know that through the brokenness, there is still incredible beauty, right? Even as we uh, fall short of the glory of God, and even as we struggle with sin, and even when our struggles don't even come because of sin necessarily, or at least directly, um, you know, it's not a sin to be sick. It's not a sin to be lonely. It's not a sin to be hungry, and yet all of these things are rooted and come from and flow from sin, right? It comes from the brokenness of the human condition, and yet we know that even though our bodies and our souls are marred by the scourge of sin, that we are still made in the image of God. We are the Imago Dei, right? And therefore, we are capable of not only appreciating great beauty, but we are in and of ourselves beautiful because God has crafted us with his own hands. And just, uh, just as we are that way, creation, while it is broken, reflects the beauty of its creator, God. And so we, we are a part of creation, but we are as um, the apex of God's created order, that's mankind, right? 
If you're familiar at all with the creation story in Genesis, mankind is the last thing that God creates. And mankind is the only thing out of all his creation that he talks to. Uh, you, see, you know, God said, let there be light. God said, let there be land that comes out from the oceans. He does all this, but when he says, let us make man after our own image, once he does that, he gives them instructions. He gives them, he identifies himself to them. And therefore, we are, not, we are a part of creation, but we are, in a sense, set apart from creation. You could say that we are holy, in a sense. Um, but creation reflects humanity, both in humanity's beauty, but also in humanity's brokenness. In humanity's ability to give God the worship that he is due, but also in man's utter futility and failure to do what God has commanded of us. And so when mankind fell into disorder at, with our first father and mother, when sin entered the world and caused all manner of chaos in our hearts so that our communities are now broken, now we experience loneliness, that the abundance has been cut off and now we experience hunger and thirst, that, um, that we do not walk in communion with God and therefore we feel all sorts of anger. We feel all sorts of jealousy. We feel all sorts of, all sorts of things and sins that are a result of our brokenness and cut-offness with God. All of this is reflected in the creation. And that's why Paul says, for the creation was subjected to futility. It is subjected to the same futility, not in the same way, but because of man. And as we talked about last week, right, when God cursed Adam, he did not simply curse Adam, but he cursed the very ground that Adam walked on. And so, therefore, creation bears the brunt and the curse and the consequence of our sin. And we, we can recognize that as, not, you don't even need to be Christian to recognize this, that something's not right, something's off. I'm sure if you've been anywhere near the news this past week, we can see sort of the depths of our depraved human condition. And anyone can see that. You don't need to come to church and you don't need to be a professing Christian to recognize that there is something wrong with the world. But it's not simply enough to recognize the futility, right? Because it's so obvious, it's so clear. And when we just consider the futility on its own, when we consider the brokenness of the world and of the human condition on its own, that can lead us to all sorts of despair. And that can lead us to all sorts of hopelessness. And indeed, that is what's happening in a lot of hearts. That's what's happening in a lot of people. That they look around at the world and they don't see a way out. And all they see is futility. Why? Because it's not just us, but it's the whole creation that is subjected to futility. And if we only see that, it leads to all sorts of sorrow, despair, and hopelessness. And indeed, this futility takes up a big chunk of our verse today. But notice at the very end of our verse, it's an incomplete thought because that thought is going to be continued next week. But how does it end? In hope. In hope. 
And that is the message that God has for us today. That though we are subjects of, and we are inhabitants of a subjected creation, subject to all sorts of futility, all sorts of brokenness, yet there is hope. Yet there is hope. Our faith leads to a great hope. Because our faith and our hope is in Christ. And if you have put your faith in Christ, and if you have put your hope in Christ, you know that Christ has made all things new and will make all things new. But why is the creation subject to this futility? Remember that when God created mankind, he spoke to them. And he spoke to them because he has a relationship with them. Everyone talks about, or not everyone, a lot of people like to say something to the effect of like, Christianity is not a religion, it's a relationship. It's like, and, we, and we think that, like, oh yeah, that sounds real, that sounds nice. Until you consider the kind of relationship that we have with God. If we consider man in his default, sinful, fallen nature, what kind of relationship that he has with God, people might be more prone to say, ah, let's just go back to the religion, <laughs> right? Because what is the relationship that we have with God? It's a broken relationship. It's a relationship that, it, it, it's, a, it's a prodigal relationship. It's a relationship marked by our rebellion against the Father. It's a relationship that's marked by the incoming fulfillment of justice of God to a sinful and rebellious people, which comes in the form of his wrath. And we consider that like, oh, yikes, right? And it is this, this broken relationship that caused the very ground that we walk on to be cursed. It is this, it's the result of this broken relationship, indeed, a broken covenant that God has made a covenant with his people and said, if you would just, I am your God, and so therefore, just do these little things that I ask you to do, and we couldn't do that, and so this covenant is broken, and therefore nothing works. Nothing works as it should. And we read that in Romans 1, and, uh, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. For his, in, um, I'm going to skip down, uh, verse 21, for although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became, keyword, futile in their thinking. And their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. See, nothing works as it should because though God has revealed himself in the fullness of his love, in the fullness of his compassion, in the fullness of his holiness and glory, we have rejected who God is. And we have gone our own way. 
even though time and time again, God establishes these promises to us, these covenants with us. Sometimes when we sing songs, well, the songs will bring up the, uh, like promises of God. Oh, God, you'll never let go of your promises. What does that mean? It means the covenants that he's made with us, right? Uh, what's the covenant that he made in the beginning, the very beginning, in Genesis? The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden. And the Lord commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in that day you eat of it, you shall surely die. Hey, Adam, I've given you the whole world. I have given you everything that is good for your sustenance and for your joy. Just don't do this. <laughs> and guess what he did? It's like telling my, telling my baby to not push the red button, right? Um, not only that, not only does Adam and Eve break the covenant with God in Genesis, uh, again, when God establishes the nat nation of Israel, he, he establishes this covenant with them. It's known as the Shema, right? Shema, which means hear or listen, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And so here God is revealing himself. I am the God, the one God, the oneness that you cannot comprehend. I have no parts in me. There is no part of me that contradicts itself. I am the God that you shall worship and therefore love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and might. And they could not do that. And the nation of God went after various idols of different kinds, and therefore God would eventually subject them to slavery and to exile and to brokenness. And so we see throughout the entire Bible, in all of Scripture, that God has established a covenant with his people, and yet it is his people who could not keep the covenant. And because they have not kept it, they were subjected to all kinds of futility. And because they are subjected to futility, the creation itself is subjected to futility. But we've, talk, we've, we've been talking about this for a long time, for 24 minutes to be exact. But, so, but not only are we subject to futility because of the covenant that God has made, or rather the covenant that we have broken, there is hope in our creation and there is hope in our condition. And there is hope for the future. And hope in creation is possible because of a new covenant. You see, when God established a covenant with his people in the Old Testament, he established what we call the covenant of works. And this covenant was very simple. You follow after me. You obey my commands. And you will prosper. And good things will come your way. But we were futile, and we could not keep this covenant, this very simple covenant. And in fact, the more we try to keep the law, and the more we try to live up to a standard of morality, the more we find, indeed, we are futile in our thinking, in our action. But there is hope, in hope. Um, Throughout all of this darkness and all this brokenness, uh, we can sing the same verse that we often sing, where it says, the night is dark, but I am not forsaken. 
for by my side the Savior he will stay. I labor on in weakness and rejoicing, for in my need his power is displayed. And indeed, in our moment of greatest need, where we needed a Savior to save us from our futility and our sin, Jesus has come. And Jesus has come in order that God would establish a new covenant with us. And the covenant sounds a little like this. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God, but God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he has loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ, by grace you have been saved, and raised us up with him, and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God. It is not a result of works, so that no one may boast, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Brothers and sisters, we are no longer in a covenant of works, but we are in a covenant of grace. We are in a covenant of grace because our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, he has accomplished and fulfilled and held up his end of the bargain in the covenant of works. Our covenant of grace is contingent on Jesus Christ fulfilling and accomplishing every good work that we could not. And he did not have to do this. And yet God would send his only son for us because he was filled with a great love for us. Indeed, God is love. And through his love, he offers us his son as a gift, a gift that does, does not and cannot be repaid, does not be repaid, <laughs> does not have to be repaid and indeed cannot be repaid. And so how can all these things be made right? How can we be made right with God? It is by faith and faith alone, faith alone and grace alone and the grace of Jesus Christ alone that we are saved and that we are brought into the family of God. You know, we see a lot of brokenness in our relationships. We see, um, and usually these, when we are angry with someone, it's because we're putting ourselves above them in a certain way. How could they do this to me? How could they stoop so low how could they, don't they have any consideration for other people? But then we consider, when we consider the gospel, and we consider what we just heard from Ephesians chapter 2, that we were children of wrath, that we were subjects of futility, and yet God in his everlasting grace and kindness has chosen to rescue us 
through his, through his love, through his son, Jesus Christ. How then can we be so quick to condemn when we ourselves were subjects of wrath? And yet we are so slow to show grace and to show kindness when we ourselves have been the recipients of a grace unbelievable. And when we consider the gospel, when we consider what Christ has overcome, that all the futility of our hearts, all the futility of our thoughts and our actions, all the futility of creation, Christ has overcome through his work on the cross and through his resurrection from the grave. And so therefore, when we consider those last two words of this verse, though we, after considering all of this futility, yet in hope, in hope, and we'll consider what we put our hope in specifically next week, but there is nothing too great for the hope that we have in us, nothing too great for that hope to overcome. If you have put your faith and hope in Jesus Christ, though we still see all of this futility, we know that in Christ, he has overcome even our sins. He has overcome even your futility, even my futility. Nothing can compare with the glory that is to be revealed in us because nothing can compare to our King, Jesus Christ. You know, I'm not saying that all of this broken, brokenness in this world and in this society and in our lives and our hearts, I'm not saying that that is satisfactory. And indeed, we must strive uh, to bring out the goodness of the Imago Dei, the goodness of the image of God in our communities. But we can live satisfied in the gospel in the midst of all of this brokenness. Because one, there is a glory coming. And this glory is what we put our hope in. And this glory is incomparable. That's what we read in verse 18 a couple of weeks ago. And not only is there a glory coming, and not only is there a great hope in which we can hope, but we have a glorious king to call friend. That though this world is subjected to futility, and though we are subjected to futility, we put our hope in the one who has put his foot down and indeed has made all of his enemies a footstool. And this king, this conquering warrior, he is our friend. He calls you his friend. Jesus Christ has called you his own. That we would put our hope in, sneak peek for next week, we would put our hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. Have you considered the free, your freedom in the glory that you know and have as the children of God? And so, we, to conclude, um, think about leading zeros, and we consider all of these things that we put into place to prevent ourselves from making mistakes, from catastrophic failures, but those are only really necessary in a world where sick people exist. All these, all the precautions that we put in our hearts and the boundary walls that we put up against people and situations, that only exists because we live in a broken world. But may our hope 
go far beyond just things being right. May our hope go so much farther than just things to be okay, but may our hope reach to the one who will make all things right, and indeed who has made all things right. Let our hope go to a person, not a thing. Let our hope go to Jesus Christ. Let our hope go and echo what it says in Revelation 22:20. He who testifies to these things says, surely I am coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. Let's pray. Uh, Father God, uh, though we experience so much futility and brokenness and sin in our lives and in this world and in all of creation, uh, we know that we have a great hope. And our great hope is not simply a parenthesis at the end of a sentence, but Lord, our great hope is in our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, who has come and accomplished the, the atoning work uh, that paid for all of our sins on the cross. And he has conquered death itself and he has walked out of the grave as evidence, as proof that indeed life has won, love has won over sin and death. But not only that, we know that you are coming again. You're coming again so that although the remnant of sin and the remnant of futility yet remains in this creation, you are coming as we read uh, in, this, in the catechism today. You're coming and bringing about the new resurrection that we will experience the fullness of the glory of the children of God. And so, Father, uh, may we consider not simply the futility, for just considering that leads to all sorts of hopelessness, but, Lord, will we consider what it is, or rather who it is, that we put our hope in. Let us consider what Jesus Christ has done, that he has saved us from the wrath of God. And let us consider what he is continuing to do in us as he's continuing to sanctify us through the Holy Spirit to make us more like him and what he is going to do at the last day when he comes again. Lord, indeed, would you increase the hope that is in us. Increase our hope in your son, Jesus Christ. And in his name we pray.